Need your copy of the Lord's Word to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we are continuing in our study of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Really what I think should be reliably and undisputedly called the greatest sermon ever preached. Because of who preached it, it is our Lord's uh, great treatise on the Ten Commandments, but also on true religion in general. And so now we come to uh, a very important section where he discusses the topic of prayer. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 15 will be uh, where our attention will be this evening. Let me read the word of the Lord to you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the reading of God's word. In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord is uh, intent on showing what true religion looks like as it flows from the heart and into the practice. And really, we could summarize this particular section as this, as saying this, the measure of true religion is not before people, but before God. That seems to be what he's getting at in this uh, section of the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, he spoke about Loving, one must love their enemies, contrasted to the tax collectors and the Gentiles who do things that just normal people do. They just love their friends. And then he said, one must give needy, must give to the needy for sincere motives before the Lord, contrasted to the Pharisees. And the Lord's idea here is that there's, there, you've seen religion or you've seen ways of living that is true worship coming out of people in particular ways, here's how tax collectors live, here's how Pharisees live, but I'm telling you this is the true way. This is the way to follow the Lord. And so now he turns to prayer, and in the same vein, he will turn uh, to fasting, which we'll look at next week. He uses both pagans and the Pharisees in showing what is true and what isn't. This is mainly a contrast. This is what you've seen. You've opened your, as you've lived, you've seen people do this. But this is wrong. This is what's right. 
This is, this is the true way. Don't go the way that these people go. Don't go the way that these people go. Go the way uh, of true religion. And so we have to come to think this evening with the Lord Jesus. And I have this question kind of to set us up as we think about this this evening. Is it possible for someone to pray in a manner that is not approved by God? Ever thought about that question? Is it possible that someone prays, but they are praying in a manner that is unapproved by God? See, Jesus talks, is talking here about things that are approved by God. He says, if you do it this way, your Father who is in heaven will reward you. Meaning your Father who is in heaven will, will accept that prayer. But here, is it possible, when we think about it in our modern day, is it possible to see someone pray, or see a group of people pray, or see a group of people's practice of prayer, and then be able to say that this person is either an immature Christian or is pagan? Is it possible for us to make judgments like that? In a world that wants to not judge people's spirituality, so that's kind of the byword of today, postmodernism. You don't judge somebody's spirituality. Somebody is spiritual in their own way. They can do what seems right to them. The Lord Jesus says something starkly different. He says, yes, you can. There is a way to pray that is wrong, and many go to it. And there's different kinds of way, ways to pray that are very wrong, and Jesus wants his followers to stay away from those kinds of prayer. He says, here's one group, they do this, don't do it. Here's another group, they do that, don't do it. But rather, do it in the way that I'm telling you to. And in, doing, in Jesus doing that, showing us these two groups and the way that they pray, he then shows us the way that we ought to pray and we learn really what true prayer looks like. And I'm convinced that every teaching in the New Testament subsequent to this, teaching on prayer, comes really from this teaching. It is an exposition of some, kind of some element of what Jesus teaches us here. And so what does Jesus teach us about prayer? I have four things for you uh, to consider briefly this evening. Jesus says, number one, we are to pray honestly without acting. Number two, we are to pray confidently without manipulation. Number three, Jesus says we are to pray clearly with specificity. And number four, we are to pray introspectively with obedience. Pray honestly without acting. Pray confidently without manipulation. Pray clearly with specificity and pray introspectively with obedience. Let's look at our first heading. Pray honestly without acting. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Why? Because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they received their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The hypocrites, when they pray, they pray not for God, they pray for people. The hypocrite, when he prays, what he wants to do is that he wants other people to see spirituality in him. His prayer is not a conversation, honest conversation, between him and God. It is a show for those who are hearing him. 
The hypocrite lives his life for the audience of man and not the audience that is God. Hypocrite suffers, the hypocrite suffers from many diseases spiritually. One of them is man-pleasing. Hypocrite wants people to think highly of him. The hypocrite wants people to, to esteem him. What gives the hypocrite comfort and ease is that everybody around them thinks that they are right with God. That's what the hypocrite cares about. His care is that those who are looking at me think of me as being fine before God. Whether or not I'm fine before God is actually secondary to the hypocrite. The hypocrite cares that you, as you see me, you think of me as something holy. And you, you must look at what Jesus says here. He says, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. They love to do this. They don't happen upon this. This is a love. This is talking about their affections. If you think about a human, one key part of a human is their affections. Where your heart goes, where your heart finds rest, what your heart loves and goes after, which forms your habits. And so if I find in myself a habit of wanting constantly to be aware of what people think of my spirituality, I must know that there is a love problem that is wrong. See, the love that I have in my heart should be for God and His ways and not for people and their esteem. But the hypocrites, they, their love is singular. Their love is for man's praise and for man's esteem. Now, of course, the hypocrites that Jesus is talking about here are not anonymous. We know who they are. These are the Pharisees and the scribes. They are the big subject in Jesus' sermon here. We've already dealt with them multiple times uh, in this sermon so far. He wants, he's constantly showing us that they are not the standard or the standard bearers of true religion. They've forsaken true religion in the way that they act. And so for us, we have to think as well for ourselves where this might be a temptation to be a hypocrite. I think we can, if we're being honest, we will say that there is a temptation to want to be seen to be spiritual. I think we can say that. I think the more a person grows in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and grows in the knowledge of the scriptures and grows and, and walks further and further the road of, of, of Christ, then there are others who come behind you that you can lead on and help. And because they are there, they can grow a temptation to want them to think of you as something that you're not. And not even, maybe, not even then, you know, maybe even, even if you have not walked the road for a long time, even if you're new to the road and you're seeing that everybody else is walking at a particular level of holiness, everybody is conducting themselves in a particular way, everybody speaking in a particular way, there is a temptation to want to be seen as not lagging behind. And so what do we do? We put on masks and we act and we we basically say to the people around us that we are something that we're not. That's what hypocr hypocrisy is. is trying to show to others that you're something, that you really aren't. You're acting. That's what the word means. It's acting. 
the mask. And so really at the heart of this problem here is a desire for people's eyes, a caring too much about what people think, and not estimating God. And it's quite critical that this even shows up in something as pure as prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to our Lord. Prayer is a response of our heart to the goodness of our God. Based on what He has done for us, we pray. He invites us to pray. In fact, He commands us to pray. He tells us to pray, to come to Him. And then we, because of the wretchedness of our hearts, can even twist that. You have to think about this. In eternity past, God was in communion with Himself. And the Scripture tells us that that was enough. God was complete he was in now, he, he, he lacked nothing being in communion with himself. Communion with himself, within himself, was enough. And then God creates creatures, and then he calls out those creatures to come and have communion with him because he has so much to give. And we're being commanded through the gospel to come into communion with God and converse with the one who sustains Reality as we know it. Such a precious thing. We sin, of course, because we're sinners. And so God comes in the form of a man. He becomes a man. He takes on humanity to die for us so that we can truly not only have communion with God, but actually be called the children of God. So now we can commune with Him, not just as a man talks to his God, but as a son talks to his father. And yet, that precious thing that I've just described, because of our wretchedness and fallenness, we can twist even that. The height of purity, the most glorious experience a human being can have to commune with the living God. We can take that and esteem God so low and make it about what do others think of me as I do this great thing. Here I am coming to the altar. Here I am coming to the Holy of Holies and I keep checking, what do you think as I'm coming in? What do you think as you look at me, come into the holiest of holies where a priest only went once a year, you are invited to come perpetually and you care that the others, what do others think of you as you do that? This is a problem in us when we find ourselves have being tempted to make prayer a religious spectacle. We need to call it what it is. It is sinful and God hates it. And there's many ways that we do this. There's many ways. There's many ways that we, that, that we do this. Um, we can do this in the way that we pray in front of others. You know, the language we use. We use insincere language. Language is not normal to us. We try to be sounds special in our language. We speak Latin or Greek to God. Who knows that we don't even know those languages? We, we try to sound spiritual. This is a problem, saints. We just have to own this up. This is a problem. When I'm praying to God, I must be honest before Him. I must speak to Him in a language that is straightforward, knowing that I am talking to the maker of the universe 
who does not just search my heart, he knows my heart in all of its depths. There's no need for a performance. There's no need to pretend to be something that I'm not. This prayer should be a sincere covenantal conversation between child and a loving father. Look at how Jesus turns this around. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father. Pray to your father. It's amazing. I think the Lord Jesus doesn't waste words. I think there's a reason why he says pray to your father here. He doesn't say pray to the almighty, though that would be true. He doesn't say pray to the one who's always been standing, though that is true. Pray to the eternal God. That would be true if he said that, but he doesn't say that. He says pray to your father. Now imagine my son coming to me and using language that is foreign to his understanding. Imagine little Korban coming to me and saying all kinds of weird things because his brothers and other people around him are looking at him. See the problem? It's a performance. And sometimes it's not just the language that we use, it's even the length of prayers that we use. Sometimes we want to just keep saying and keep speaking. We just want to keep speaking because we want to be seen how spiritual we are when we pray. That we can pray for hours and hours on end. And it's wonderful. I'm not talking against praying for a long time. But there's a, there's a performance if I'm doing that in front of others. And there's a performance if I'm doing that for the sake of others. Do you understand? There is a, there is a problem there. There is, a, there is a thinking about prayer that because prayer is a spiritual act, it should be uncontrolled and mindless. That is unbiblical. It shouldn't be. You should be well within your right mind. You should be able to pray briefly, straightforwardly in front of others to the benefit of, to praying to God and to the upliftment and benefit of others. Not so that others might look at you and think how wonderful of a Christian you are. So that's the first idea here. That prayer must be a prayer to the audience of one and not to the people around And so we are to pray honestly without acting. Number two, we are to pray confidently without manipulation. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, Pagans manipulate their gods, right? So if you understand paganism, what is paganism? Essentially, it is seeking out a god, trying to appease that god, so that that god blesses you, right? And paganism throughout history, at the time of the Lord Jesus, even till today, paganism has a few very straightforward elements. One of them is here is a deity, and the deity needs to be either appeased or, or begged for something. He's the a deity of something. And the way that you access the thing that you want from him is that you give him certain things. Or you manipulate him in some certain way. He tells you, here's the formula, and then I'll give you what I want. That's the thinking of the Gentiles. That this is kind of an ATM machine. I need to put in the thing, and I need to put in the code, and then I'll get what I want. And so the practice that Jesus is specifically referring to here is the pagan practice of heaping up words in multiple mindless repetition 
so that we can actually unlock the code and get what we want out of the deity. And Jesus says that you've seen that from the pagans, you are not to do that. And the reason that he gives is remarkable. It's a remarkable reason when you take two minutes to think about it. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that something? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, wait, Jesus, hold on. You're confusing me. You just said that I mustn't heap up words so as to be heard and given what I want. But now you're just telling me that you're telling me I should pray, but the Father knows what I need before I ask Him. So how does those two things connect? How, how am I guaranteed that the Father is going to give me what I need? And He says, the answer is right there. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Meaning, your Father is aware of your needs and because He is your Father, He desires to give them to you anyway. Because He is your Father, he is, His desire is for you. You don't have to punch in a cold. You don't have to repeat things because He is your Father. He loves you anyway. Your relationship with Him is such that you do not do a song and dance and then He gives you what you want. Do you understand? It's not a relationship where you have to clap three times. It's not a relationship where you have to slaughter a cow or kill a goat or go get cleansed. It's not a relationship where you have to beg and beg. I don't know if you've, if you've, you've perhaps some of you here, you might have grown up in a, in a home situation where perhaps love was not the main thing. And for you to receive what you were asking you needed to repeat it or you needed to be, you were unsure all the time. You just, you're, you're insecure whether or not what you need for school is even going to be given to you or this person thinks of you as a burden. You know, you're not their child perhaps. You're a burden. And so when you're asking for this, this school trip that, that's happening and you're not sure if you're going to be given that, ah, I'm already paying for your food. Why would I do that for you? And so perhaps you might be thinking, just having these nerves Constantly when you're thinking about asking for something. Jesus says, not that with your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven, you, are to have, you ought to have confidence in His love for you. You ought to have confidence in His desire to do you good. Right? When you're praying, know who you're praying to. Here's the main idea here. Trust that God hears you so that you do not need manipulation tactics in prayer. God's people must trust entirely that faith in Jesus' finished work is the basis by which we have open access to be heard by God. Anything more than that is idolatrous and pagan. The reason that you have access to God and that you have an, an audience with God and that God will do anything for you is entirely and completely because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. As soon as you add anything of your own or anything else on top of that, that's idolatrous and pagan. Stomping feet, you've seen that? When people are praying so much, they're sweating. They're stomping their feet. Praying for long hours. Let's have three cross-night prayers over a weekend. Repeating special phrases. There's particular phrases, you know. 
That I have to, I have to, every sentence in the prayer, I need to add the special phrase, add the special phrase, add the special phrase. Using special oils or teas that are sold by a prophet. Seen that? Using rosaries or anything of the light. Anything, anything like that. All of those things are gimmicks of manipulation. Trying to treat God as if he's some kind of created deity. He is not. He is our Father who knows what we need even before we ask it. So ask confidently. Ask confidently. Enter into the throne of grace with confidence. Knowing that you are heard because of that man, Jesus Christ, who is standing beside the Father. That's the one. The one who intercedes for you. The one who interceded for Stephen. That's the one that you look to. That you, that you say, I'm going to come in here and because of what he's done, I'm going to have confidence to ask for these things. We must, we must fight any seed of idolatrous or pagan tactics in our heart. We have to call it what it is. It's idolatrous. It's pagan. To try and manipulate God in any form of shape or fashion, anything like that, to try and manipulate it, to try and think of doing other things first or anything like that, other than walking in with honesty and confidence because of the work of Christ. Anything like that is pagan. And God's people ought not to do it. We need to trust that Jesus' sacrifice was enough for us. And that's number two. Pray confidently without manipulation. Now let's come to number three. Pray clearly with specificity. Verse nine. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. From evil. This is now the Lord telling us not, He's just told us how not to pray. Don't pray these ways. Now pray this way. And we've preached a number of times in the Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to go into all the details of it. We've spoken quite a lot about the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. But I do want to bring this thing to your thinking this morning, just as we're looking at this uh, from a forest perspective, from a bird's eye view. The Lord's Prayer has logic and clarity. Do you, you, you know that. The Lord's Prayer has logic and clarity. It asks first for God's priorities to be done, and then it requests for our temporal needs. In other words, it begins with eternity, and then it comes down here to this time before eternity. So the, the, this prayer is coherent and specific and thought through. It has order and logic. Our prayers, friends, must make sense. Our prayers must be fueled and informed by true biblical priorities. Our prayers, before we even pray them, must be thought through and tested by the truthfulness of God's Word. If you know that praying for a certain thing is unbiblical, then don't pray for it. I'll give you an example. There could have been someone who prayed earnestly for hours for the salvation of Judas. Right? Prayed for hours. 
But as soon as Jesus said, this is the son of perdition, the one doomed to destruction from the beginning, as he says in the book of John, near the end there, that's the end of the prayer. That's the end of the prayer. As soon as Jesus declares that, this is the son of perdition, the one doomed to destruction before time, that's the end of the prayer. Why would you continue then, now that you've been informed by God what the verdict here is? See, see, there are certain things we need. Our, our prayers must be informed. They must have clarity. They must be informed by the word of God. They must make sense. We do not give our minds over to the spirit in some mystical sense and then leave them there when we're praying. Praying is not some kind of movement where I'm just going to feel how I'm led, how I'm, and I'm just going to pray as it goes, and, and I'm going to interrupt somebody else as they're praying because I really feel like this, this, is, this is what needs to be prayed for. No, no, no. Prayers to be well thought through. Prayers to be organized in that sense. It's to not be a, a mindless exercise. No, we must think about what we need, and we must think about what is important, and we need to pray accordingly. We approach our Father knowing that He is God, knowing that He has ordered the world, and knowing that He has already spoken to us about what priorities in the world are. And so we, we come to Him in light of that. We do not just pray because we feel a particular way. Pray clearly with specificity. Our prayers must be coherent. Our prayers must be detailed and specific. We must not be more detailed when we're talking to people than when we're talking to God. We must not be more specific about our problems and our needs when we're talking to people than we are to God. Lord, I, I have a, you know, you, you, oh, here's a friend, you're talking to your friend and you're driving somewhere and you're, you're really worried that you're going to run out of petrol before you reach the petrol station. Okay? Now, you could say, Lord, please give us traveling mercies. That's true, but you could also at that moment pray, Lord, please help this tank not to finish. Okay, Lord, please help my car. Give me slopes going downwards. Be specific. Okay, slopes going downwards so that I can put it on manual and let it, put it on neutral and just let it go down. You understand? I'm saying be specific. We cannot be more specific with people than we are with the Lord. This is the one who's closest to us. There's nothing too small to be more specific about. There's really nothing. There's nothing too small to be specific about. What are your needs as specific as they are? The Lord's Prayer gives us a framework from which to, to draw from to pray. And it gives us the priorities, of course, God's will, God, the, Lord, the Lord's name and His mission going forth, and then our needs. But our needs are much more specific sometimes than the framework, this is just a framework. It's not just something to be repeated rote. If it was something to be repeated rote, then Jesus would have broken what he just said. But didn't he just say, don't just heap up phrases? No, he's giving us a framework from which to draw. So be specific with your prayers. Nothing is too small to bring before the Lord. Be specific and be coherent so that you can praise the Lord when he answers specific prayers. It is possible that one of the reasons that perhaps we, we do not find that internal motivation to pray often is because we're not specific enough so that we'll be able to be encouraged when we see the specific prayer answered. 
It makes sense? We, we pray so much in general, generalities that we think everything just has to, needs to just be general. Whereas if we're to be specific and then we see the Lord answering specific prayers, that could work to increase our faith and encourage us to pray more. So let me encourage you in that direction. Lastly here, pray introspectively with obedience. Pray introspectively with obedience. Verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, and your, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your, will your Father forgive your trespasses. What's the main idea here? The main idea here is this. One who lives willfully, not in accordance with God's will, must not expect blessing in his prayers. One who lives willfully, contravening the Lord's will, must not expect blessing in his prayers. I believe Peter is picking up from this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, when he says to husbands, Husbands, take care how you live with your wives, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay. So there is a way that we ought to be living, and as we're living that way, so when, when I'm praying, I can't, and, and it, just in your mind, what should come to your mind, this is the parable of the unforgiving servant. You remember the parable? He's forgiven such a huge sum that he would have never been able to pay back, and he's just begged for his life. He's just begged for his life, please, I can't pay this, please forgive me. And then he's forgiven. And then he walks out, straight from walking out from there, he walks out, and here's somebody who owes him a pittance in comparison to what he owes, and he can't forgive them. The problem there is there's no introspection. There is no self-awareness. There is a, a disconnection between what, they, what he was pleading for and how he lives. And so for us as well, it should be the same. When we come before the Lord, we should pray introspectively, aware, honestly. Honestly about where we are and how we're living. And we are to be endeavoring to ensure that how we're living is in line with the word of the Lord. And that's why the Lord Jesus says this here. If you do not forgive, don't expect to be forgiven. In the same way, if you are, if you are ungracious, if you are, if you are not giving, then don't, if you're not a giving person in the sense of giving of yourself, being kind to others, giving love to others, caring for others, don't expect that you're going to live in that antithetical to God's law way and expect the Lord to bless your prayers. Rather, you should pray to the Lord, ask Him for these things, and seek at the same time to walk in line, even with the things that you're praying for. So, what we're being told here by the Lord Jesus is that there is a way to live as we pray as well. Prayer is not disconnected from life. Prayer is a part of life. I cannot be someone when I'm praying and somebody else when I'm not praying. You see? I can't be asking and begging for forgiveness when I'm praying, but I have no category for forgiveness in normal life. Can't be asking for bread from the Lord and not be one who ensures that in my sphere of influence where I'm able to, within the right, within the right parameters, I provide bread. 
I can't be asking for grace from the Lord as, the, as a husband, but I do not offer my wife any grace. Can't do that. Can't, you, you, you can't be schizophrenic like that. Because when we're walking with the Lord, we need to be honest, and our prayer must be a true, a, an honest conversation between, between us and the Lord that is a true reflection of our lives. So it's not talking about perfection. Don't hear me saying that you need to be perfect before you pray. But this is talking about a, a, a manner of living, where my will is, where am I going, what am I doing, am I following this way, or am I going a completely different way? In other words, Jesus here is specifically talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees are ones who live in, a, in who are practically always publicly praying loud prayers that are very spiritual, talking in a particular direction, but the way that they live their lives is completely opposite. And we ought to be not like them. So let me encourage you, saints, to pray. Let me encourage you to pray as a, as a, a, as a part of your life as you walk with the Lord. When you pray, you pray honestly without acting. That you pray confidently knowing what was achieved for you by the blood of Christ. That you pray clearly with specificity and trusting that the Lord will care for you in those ways. And that as you pray, you are watching your own life and seeing how you're living. Is your own life in line with your, your praying? Amen. Let's pray.